Hey there. Thanks for joining me on Comedy Masterclass, where I interview creators about the craft of writing comedy. Today, I am super happy to have Adam Courting with me, who is a very curious creative whose work spans devising, improv, writing, acting, and so much more. And today, I'm particularly excited to be able to ask Adam about the place where improv and Shakespeare meet in his work, which is quite a delightful combination. Um, but before we dive in, Adam, is there anything else you'd like people to know about you and your work? Uh, I'd like you to know that I'm still looking for more things to do. So <laughs> I, I love collaborating. Um, I'm perpetually like curious and interested in the world around me. So um, you may see me popping up in unfamiliar places um, with unfamiliar ideas. Don't be alarmed. I'm just experimenting and exploring. <laughs> I love it. Amazing. I think that's a, a great note to get off on. Fantastic. So one of the things that um, I know about you from having a, a little bit of a look around online is that you're currently part of two different yes. improv groups, which is fabulous. And I wanted to start there because we use the term improv as though it's one thing, improvisation, but actually it covers so many different kinds of forms and styles and different flavors. So I wondered if you wouldn't mind giving us a little bit of an insight into those two different groups and the particular skills that you bring to them and love to explore as it relates to comedy and creativity. Lovely, yes, be happy to. So the first group, I guess I'll do it in, in order that I joined. So the first group is Do the Right Scene. Yeah, It's an all-black improv group. We are London's first, as far as we know. Um, so if anyone wants to come out the woodwork and, and show us sort of trust papers from, you know, before, it's fine, we'll accept <laughs> it. Um and we do predominantly, we've done a lot of short form improv. So that is improv games, things you might have seen on Whose Line Is It Anyway, that sort of thing. But we also do incorporate more longer form comedy. Um, it's, so it's an all black group and that's sort of part, it's quite key to what happens there. So, uh, so the founders of the group, so some of the early, so Ty Campbell being one of them, and Athena Kubleno, who's, uh, they're both comedians and they both perform and write and do lots of other things outside of it. I think part of it was creating a, a cultural space where the names of characters, the types of stories, the themes that come out, um, they're not specifically from the black African or uh, Caribbean community, but it, that does come up a lot. And it's sort of part of it is the, the idea of um, creating a space where it's okay and normalized to have a name like Femi or follow, um, you know, to talk about barbershops or, you know, going to the Caribbean and that not being the key part of the story, which can often happen. And so the idea isn't to create a separate space where other things aren't discussed, but it's to create a space where as well as the usual Cecils and Bobs and Francis exist, there can also be other Jamals and Athenas and Ties and, and other parts. So, I think that's probably one of the key things about why the group exists and, and also what it hopes to offer to the world. Sometimes it's like, why are you doing what you're doing is a question we don't always mm. ask ourselves. Is it necessary? <laughs> Maybe it's personally necessary. Fine. Uh, does it bring anything else? Does it add anything? Because when you perform on a public stage in a public space, there's all, all limited resources. There's only so many venues that we can perform in. Uh, there's only so much time we can have on a stage. And 
I think it's great that people express themselves. So I never ever want to advocate people not expressing themselves. But I, for me personally, it's important to sort of say, is this necessary now? Can I step aside and let someone else tell their story? And there's a version of that in improv, which is actually let's make some space for other groups. So Do The Right Scene also has a monthly night where called uh, Special Delivery. And it's a, we call it a POC night. So it brings all that is the nature of the night is there's a, a free workshop or sorry, it was a free workshop. Uh, everyone's got bills to pay, but it's a very low cost workshop before where people of color can come and also participate in bringing their individual names, their unique names, their unique cultures, throw it all into one big melting pot. And we can all kind of take the time to appreciate different cultures without having to uh, represent them ourselves. We can just share a space with someone sharing what they bring and they have a chance to perform in the show afterwards. So that, that was, that was an, a plug, but it was an indirect one because the point was mm. the whole idea is that different people can perform and bring those stories and characters. And even though we're an all black group, we are not saying that it has to be all black, the space. So we were saying we want everyone who feels like they're on the outskirts from that ethnicity or race or cultural side to come on in and, and share that with the audience. Now the audience, we encourage everyone to come to. So there are no, there are no restrictions in that sense. So it's part of the reason why I enjoyed the improv project. I'd kind of done some improv before, lost the passion of it. And it sort of, for me, as I was searching my own identity and starting to understand it more and, and I guess claim it more and be more confident sharing that this felt like it was a good intersection between my identity and the work that I love doing. And it spills out into the comedy and it means that there are lots of references that I can feel safe, safe, safe sharing. Um, same with lots of the people I perform with, we can bring all these references and not make them the core focus. And so it, it allows the comedy to expand out in different directions now, maybe unfamiliar directions in improv spaces, because now we've got different brains and different ideas, different lenses sharing their version of this is what I find funny. This is what's interesting to me. And, and for me, in terms of comedy, I'm always interested in how do we evolve it, develop it. You know, there are certain things that are, I'd say they, 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 they will continue through time, the rule of three and, you know, comedy beats, lots mm. of stuff that, that will just be part of comedy. However, the lenses through which we, we shine that through, the perspectives we bring, the character types, archetypes, stereotypes, all of that is subject to shifting. And uh, I guess that's one of the things that I enjoy with the comedy that we do there. So that, that's, that's effectively my do the right scene soapbox i'd like to say and there's room to continue to grow and we want to uh we've got a show coming up where we want to kind of again shine it through different prisms and lenses and challenge ourselves to not fall into the um the stereotype of what a do the right scene show might be and really push ourselves to expand and explore and share new cultural references and explore it in different ways and challenge ourselves to 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 be both diverse and inclusive at the same time so yeah fab yeah fabulous thank you oh my goodness i've got so many questions yeah. to ask about that but i do want to give space to the yes. second group as well just because i, I mentioned yes. two and i'm going to learn from both yeah. of them so if you wouldn't mind telling us Absolutely. about that too so akaprov um the shortest way to describe it is uh 
showstoppers but acapella but I thought it does both showstoppers mm. and acapella disservice because they're two very different things so I think it's fair to say that that was the birth of of that concept of an improvised musical but the acapella aspect where beatboxing and rapping and and you know the absence of a pianist any sort of musicians everything being done by the cast um for me it's like such a great challenge to to create everything from the space especially musicals i think there's something joyful about musicals that and especially the akaprov musicals which is rooted around love and connection and relationships and togetherness you can kind of do them any way you want but that is effectively where akaprov sits you know there's lots of humor it can veer on to to darker aspects but it never really sits there so it has this sort of broad scope mm. of humanity but centered around love and around creativity and what akaprov brings what it's brought me personally is i have a love of music um of creating music i used to manage a band years ago i learned to play a bit of guitar through them write songs uh on my own when i was upset sad you know late 20s <laughs> go for a situation pick up a guitar write yeah. a song um just for the sake of it but it's just this lovely space of um in order to create an ensemble that can harmonize that can create music together uh, uh, and create a very full palette of of music as well as developing you know providing a musical with the relationships the developments all of the things you you associate with a musical the progression of a narrative in a way that you know will be resolved in a way it relies on a lot of trust a lot of, you know a wide skill set mm. but also an embracing of the difference that that everyone brings with people being stronger at some things you know and and other people being stronger at others and it's got a mix of both celebrate who you are what you bring mm. but also we can develop additional skills in the process and you can challenge yourselves within it in a sort of safe way among people who are supportive to create these like spectacles and it is magical you know i've watched shows um i've been you know i've watched parts of the show and in rehearsals as well it's just a fantastic space of in the same vein that improv brings something out of nothing but to see this rich tapestry of you know a very mixed group of humans improv attracts you know it attracts non-performers in the sense of it's it's often just mm people who do a wide range of jobs nine to five or, or you know flexi time who also step into the improv space and it brings that it holds that in a way that the, the regular acting world or whatever we're going to call it typical acting world doesn't so lots of really different ways of thinking of being and it kind of holds them it brings them all in together and then we get to express ourselves through this this medium that involves us really listening and really sharing moments and paying attention to each other and paying attention to ourselves and there's just a joy that comes from the intro song that we sing from singing the title of the show that an audience member has provided with us provided for us sorry in harmony together from that moment till the final song that we all sing together to those final notes sung in harmony there's just something magical that happens in the audience and between the performers that that for me brings something beyond just a kind of artistic enjoyment is is very kind of soul filling 
for me. So, um, and it's all, you know, humor and, and comedy and joy just rooted in, in all of it. You know, it's about how do we see people experience um, these difficulties, people that look just like us, but in a kind of, in a comedic way, it's, it's not, it's not traumatic. There is drama in there, but there's also yeah. a lot of comedy underpinning it. It's like life. It's a reflection of life. There's sort of, there are lots of comedic elements to just everyday life. And, and it kind of helps to frame and capture that and then present it in the way of a show that looks like it was written. That's, that's amazing. It's, oh my goodness. I wish I could come and see a show like tonight <laughs> already. I'm sold. I'm there. <laughs> it's wonderful. And I'd love to know, like from where you are now, and you think about like being in that ensemble, and you've already mentioned things um, like trust and paying attention. Are there any other things that you have learned to be part of an ensemble now that you just didn't know when you started? Definitely. Um, I'd say one of the key things is an understanding of yourself. I think it can often hmm. be forgotten about because performance to some degree involves you becoming someone or some some version of yourself that isn't necessarily the you that buys newspapers or you know subscribes to fresh food delivery companies um and i think the understanding of how your brain works what your interests are but also what bothers you what frustrates you the conditions that you need to feel happy or safe that is that's the thing that i really had to learn to pay attention to and have learned really affects the way that I can step out into a rehearsal or, or a performance space. And I now advocate for people to really spend time digging into that because creativity hmm. can often often be an escape for from the day-to-day -day world. And I guess it always will be to, an ex, uh, to a degree. However, um, I think it's not helpful to avoid tackling those things about yourself that are driving you day to day and just to dive into the the creativity and work because even though it can give you something sometimes it can be the lifeboat if we never come back to tackle those things they come out in our personality in our behavior in our choices that we make and often this is where we can end up with difficult moments on stage because if you've not processed your mm. own issues with gender with race you know when you're in that moment of having to make a quick decision based on your reflexes, that's where mm. it starts to tap into that. And that's where we can get some uncomfortable spaces that, that are rooted in your unconscious. And in that slight anxiety that you get when you have to make a choice, sometimes that's what you're tapping into. Not always, but, but you know, that's sometimes. So I found that I've had to do a lot of looking at myself and being honest. And, and am I ready? Am I ready to be performing right now? You know, at various points, I take time out of things and say, actually, there's stuff in life I need to take care of. Uh, and sometimes the shows have been a place to avoid doing what I need to do. But it will always come out at mm. some point. And it's not always healthy for that to just suddenly come out when I'm rehearsing, when I'm doing a show. It's not always fair to the people I'm working with. If I'm not ready to work, but I'm just bringing myself in there, then... I might sub, you know, I might bring things into the space that aren't helpful for what everyone's trying to achieve, including myself. So I'd say like a better understanding of self, of unpicking things. Reflection has always been 
something that I've tried to incorporate since I started doing forest school work is is great. It's like being able Mm. to reflect regularly on not just what you've experienced, but how you felt, how you respond to particular stimuli, what things keep coming up. Are there ways that people describe you Mm. that you may not, not necessarily be happy with but are continually there, you know, are there things I can address? Because that is the sort of stuff that can filter out when you're trying to set up this trust space and we're working as a team, collaborating. Now I'm more likely to share in a room, I'm experiencing this right now. And so these areas I may struggle with or, you know, in mm. that space and I'm more likely to kind of face up to that. Whereas I think previously I would have bottled it and it would have just popped out an inopportune moment and suddenly um, other people are having to help support me in a rehearsal or, or in the middle of a scene. And and then it's hard, you know, mm. there's embarrassment and shame and then I don't necessarily address it afterwards. So, or it gets lost in the mix of what a great show. We had a moment, we got past it. So it's more important for me to find that kind of peace within myself than, than to just force myself to to experience difficult moments on stage just for the sake of, you know, the show must go on or, you know, I, I, I've committed to this thing, so I have to do it. Hmm. That's incredibly wise and really good advice uh, that you don't often hear people give. It's really valuable. Thank you. And I'm wondering, you've mentioned um, trust, like being able to trust yourself and doing that work on yourself, but you've also mentioned it in relation to the sort of wider space and how we create that to be able to take those risks. And obviously inherent in improv can be things things not working, things failing that can be part of the process too. So I'm really curious, um, particularly with comedy, where we are pushing different things and exploring material and that like you hear um, like stand-ups talking about like walking right up to the line and sometimes going across the line. And but, like, we're, we're talking about it as though it's the thing we can see, yes. but it isn't, it's a very complicated, you often just know when you've crossed it. Multifaceted <laughs> thing. That, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I'd love, I'd love to know um, just in terms of your work, how you um, think about those conversations with colleagues and what you think are are useful conversations to be having from where we are in 2023 about the kind of things um, that we bring into comedy and don't and how to have those conversations usefully. Yeah. That's a really difficult question. I will throw my two cents in um, and it will hopefully contribute to the the wider pot. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think further to, I guess, how I'm reflecting on, um, how I approach the work as a performer, as a creative, whether it's writing or, you know, working in comedy, writing sketches, performing them. Um, is this, so we talk about truth in comedy and there's a lot of mm. uh, phrases that in isolation can be quite misleading. So things like truth in comedy, write what you know, um, you, you have to be yourself and bring your yourself to the space. So sometimes we're in unhealthy places for ourselves and we're in vulnerable places for ourselves. So if you write the truth of a moment when you're vulnerable, then yeah, you're absolutely doing that. It may not actually be right for you to share that. It may not be right for you to, to bring that to a wider stage or a wider audience without you doing your own processing first. It might make great material, and people may identify with it immediately. Mm. But if you haven't 
gain some sort of understanding of it, if you haven't begun that process of what to do with it, then I think it can take it it can start to overtake you. It can move beyond you out of your control. And it might further deepen issues that you already have. It might create situations where we have all these choices before us and we make these choices and we stand by these choices and maybe the choice that you've, you could have made a different choice and still got the laugh or the, the experience you wanted. However, this one might reopen wounds. It might open wounds elsewhere and not because you intended it to, but because you just had this generic, it's truth in comedy, just write what you know. It's truth, you know, all of this stuff, it's, it can be unhelpful language and whenever, whenever I read books on uh, writing comedy, there is a truth in comedy book. Um, whenever I read books on all of these different, none of them really talk about or even have a section on um, how okay are you, you know, before you undertake this. Mm. If you're going to delve into your, your own self, if you're going to dredge up memories and feelings and frustrations, and if you're going to dig into trauma... Are you okay to do? Can you hold it? Can you deal with the the repercussions of it? It's never really talked about. It's just about the work, and I think it's hard to separate the the person from the work. Your work is inherently going to take. It's your lens, so it's going to. It's quite personal. Mm. However much you try and write about different people and different experiences, it's all very personal. So, um, so I think it's important that um, that self work and is is also taken into account while we approach the work, if that makes sense. I think it's important to not just launch yeah, totally. straight in and to take that time. And I don't know, some people have found, you know, made great careers of just digging into traumatic experiences. And I, in, in a way, I'm not saying don't do that, but I'm saying be mindful of what you're doing, you know, especially if you're starting out. We're actually now in a space where we are clear that not everyone is okay. And we're trying to create spaces where we don't force people to not be okay. Please only come to us if you have something traumatic to bring to the table. Please only tell us this story mm. if it evokes deep felt memories. Please only share the, the most personal private things. We're in a space going, well, actually, we can't always hold that. And when it comes out in front of an audience, when it's put onto a DVD, when it's streamed out there, then it's out there uh, and there can sometimes mm. be implications beyond, you know, your control. So I guess I'm just sort of revising my way forward with that. If there wasn't too much of a that ramble. That makes total sense. No, no, that makes absolute total sense. And again, it's super helpful. And, um, Last question, because I, I definitely want to ask you about your Shakespeare yes. wet too, and there's such a lovely link between them. Um, but so many things that you've said have provoked more questions. And one that I'd love to know is just as you, um, because you are so reflective and you are so involved in so many fantastic creative projects like For Yourself and Young People, <laughs> which I'll also ask you about. When you think about um, comedy moving forward and you think about well, right now we're in 2023, but think about comedy three, five, mm -hmm. ten years out. Are there any things that you would love to see in terms of changes when you think about, say, the young people that you work with coming through and having their their chances? What would you still like to see change? The, I think the main thing I'd love to see change, because I think people are always going to, comedy will always have an element of things that feel 
closer to this line that cross a line, you know, whatever the moral or societal line that is, I'd love to see unions and institutions and production companies just take more responsibility in ensuring that sort of wellness side of it. I'd like to see them take more responsibility Mm. for putting things in place that also protect the artists and the performers. I think as a creative, often you just express yourself and sometimes you express yourself because you're inspired sometimes. I mean, I guess it's all a form of inspiration, but sometimes that inspiration can come from a more joyful, excitable place. And sometimes it can come from a darker place. And I'm not saying one has more value over the other, but what I would like to see is those the gatekeepers and the care- caretakers, those that are facilitating this, do take more of an interest in in the creatives below them and help to support their understanding of what's happening. Because I because mm. I think it's yeah, of course, if I have a club and and I I welcome everyone and and everyone's well, that's not fair. I think a lot of organisations, even individuals that run their own businesses, in the quest to develop more to develop their audiences to generate more material through their medium through their organization they don't always put things in place to protect anything be it audience or performer they don't always see a need or have a desire to censor and i use the word censor but to to at least challenge people to Mm. reflect themselves there's not always a process of, you know, if you're coming in here, I'm giving you a platform. Once you come and speak on this platform, once you kind of appear on this camera, this is going to go out. It's going to amplify your voice. Mm. Now, I want you to be sure that you're ready to amplify this voice. You know, I want you to be sure that you know um, the potential, you know, what can happen once you step out and do this. Because a performer who... um I guess using the social media, controversial comments and antagonistic comments will generate hits and will generate um, interactions. Mm. And that's great for a platform. Just engagement is great. But if that has an effect on the performer or the audience, that's not a concern. If If your interest is just engagement, So I don't want to stop people sharing their thoughts, stop people saying what they need to say, but I would like those that are, that are promoted, that are making money off it, that are gaining something to take a responsibility in also being part of that process of helping someone to just check themselves before they make that step. You know, I want you to come and perform with me. Let's have a conversation first. I want to get to know you first and understand what you're doing first. There's this weird shortcutting where, they don't care as long as you mm. can do this or you go out on stage. I don't care what happens. And if you're not great, that you might get booed or you might not come back again and I'll get someone else in. I'd like to see more interest taken. It's not financially, it's not going to gain them anything financially, but that's not my interest. I, I'd, li- I'd like that. I'd like that to change. Yeah, thank you. I mean, so much food for thought there and makes such incredible sense. And I, like the more you say it, the more I can see how relevant that is to so many different creative industries and how um, like as creative sometimes people criticize different uh, 
other industries outside the sector, but actually there's more mm-hmm. things in place there to take care of people, um, which we just don't have sometimes in the creative fields and certainly not that sort of longer mm-hmm. term uh, vision that you're speaking of, which is so important, whether it's in politics, life, education, whatever it is. So thank you for bringing that to the conversation. I really appreciate I, it. Sorry, just to jump on what you I, said, I, I found yeah, that in the corporate, it. I do a lot of corporate training and I was astonished mm at the the number of the accountability and the Mm. policies and procedures in place at law firms, at accountancy firms, at other businesses that we traditionally look on as capitalist monsters. And we say, oh, these, Mm. you know, and maybe to a degree, there are things that certain organizations do. However, lots of them have, um, they know exactly how many female leaders they have. They have a target for increasing Mm. that. They know how many uh, non-white members they have they know how many um non-heterosexual you know they have lots of statistics and they're like we are working to improve that and we're putting these things in place and we're signing up to this and we're accountable and when they do often i'm training them for when they have new associates joining and part of what i was told is you're a good lawyer we know that and that but we need mm. the extra stuff and as a law firm you can't just say, well, we're the top firm. They need to know what you're doing with sustainability, what you're doing with, you know, helping the environment, um, what you're doing with initiatives with the community. They're like having to be accountable to new associates joining because they can go anywhere. And and then I look at the arts organizations and and, and mm. the stories that have passed and the fact that lots of that is still in place. There's almost zero accountability there's there's almost they're all closed shops whereby they can run like sort of their own kingdoms and they only put stuff in place if they want to but in comparison as someone who identifies as being from the arts sort of space and that mm. i'm i'm kind of ashamed of 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 the in- mm. organizations i know there are some s- smaller ones and there are some bigger ones but it's not a culture that we've embraced in the way that other industries have. And that feels a bit of a shame. Yeah, totally. And so many more, (laughs) I could ask you about this all day, (laughs) but I'm determined to also ask you um, about your Shakespeare work, just because I think it's such a beautiful intersection and we've sort of time traveled forward a little bit to a future and what we'd like to see there. And you've given us lots to picture, Um, but I'd love to time travel Yes. Back to think about the Shakespeare texts that you've engaged with and also how you've brought them up to context. Yes. So I was fascinated to read that um, you've been involved in obviously, multiple Shakespeare productions with multiple like main leading roles, including Bottom uh, in Midsummer yeah. Extreme, one of the yeah. like iconic <laughs> comedic roles. But I'd love to know if we, I'm going to set improv aside just for a sure. second to see how you approach that role. And then I'd love to know where improv fits with it because they do join together. So when you were approaching that role and thinking about it as a role that embraces comedy as well as other things too, it's a, it's a big question, but what were some of the um, challenges or fascinations that you had with it and what you wanted to bring to it as you brought it to life? Yeah, it's quite funny because up until, so I worked with this company called Open Bar Theatre and I, I credit them entirely with helping me to reshape how I thought about the role. So I had applied mm-hmm. for, they did some like doubling. So I'd applied for, I think it was Lysander and and um, one of the, I can't remember which mechanical and, and uh, it was an interesting doubling yeah. in there. And 
I ended up getting bottom uh, in there. And so at first I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> what, uh, what do I do with this? And, uh, you know, thinking about p- productions of Midsummer, I mean, it's on at least, you know, eight times a year <laughs> in various places mm-hmm. every year. Um, so you have this image and the mechanicals of West Country and bottom um, mm. has, is portly, is if, is that a fair word? I don't know. Apologies if that is not something we use, but yeah. bottom has a bigger belly in all of the productions I've seen, whether that is a suit that someone's put on or they've done it. And they have this very kind of set interpretation that involves, you know, bottom and the mechanicals not being very clever. And mm. so that was, I guess it's the sort of thing with any Shakespeare pieces. How do I forget what I know and bring something unique to it? And when I went for the recall, the um, director sent an email out say or one of yeah director producers saying we all know you can act so we just want to see what you bring to the role and sometimes things just land with you as a you know sometimes something really stands out and it just made me I sat in my bedroom at the time and I just remember thinking okay if I was going to do this which sounds really silly but if I was going to do this and do it any way I wanted what would it do and I ended up like rapping one of the little speeches that Bottom did because it was something that I enjoyed doing and Mm. sort of I did that in the audition and actually that that moment you know it unlocked something in me which was I can really filter this through my own brain and my own mind and just interpret what I read Mm. through my own lens because often I found with Shakespeare is people have these readings of the characters and the texts so they will tell you what what it's about it will tell you, I know that's not Mm. the right interpretation, it's this. And it may exist there, but as far as I know, none of these people have actually spoken to Shakespeare and they are, and it's fine to interpret it, but it it felt very fixed. And people judging a performance, not based on the performance, but what they expect from the role and that someone has taken it this way and it's not how they see the character. And it's the one thing that was missing from Open Bar. They do lots of research they do lots of work on the text understanding it all the contextual stuff and everything however you're not performing in front of a 17th century audience you're performing in front of an audience in at the time I think it was 2017 and I am not an actor from the 17th century so I need to bring what I understand and what I know to to what I'm reading so in the end I abandoned this idea, you know, we talk about the Shakespeare voice. I was like, no, let go of all mm. of those things that you've been told and that, you know, people that have a greater understanding of the text know about it and just think people have come to see a piece of work that they'd like to be able to understand. They've paid a ticket not mm. to be patronized. They've paid for a ticket not to sit and have to go and read about what just happened. They want to see some storytelling in front of them and understand what is happening and that is our job is to make it clear for that audience and clear for ourselves so I sort of abandoned that side of it the kind of classical this is the canon and how we've done it and I just focus on and trying to interpret every line and every relationship with the other people I was performing with the way that I would if this was me which sounds like a very simplistic and of course that's what we're doing but I don't think that's what everyone always does especially with Shakespeare. Mm. 
And you can always be pushed by people around you, by the own fear you have of breaking away from um, common understanding and common portrayals. You can always be influenced indirectly, even if no one actually says it, to try and produce something that other people might want to see. And it's almost the opposite of what I get from improv, which is they just want to see your interpretation. Mm. So in a way, I sort of brought my improv brain to tie those two things in together into that character and went, how would I characterize this? And what do I find interesting about this person? And how do I humanize this person? And just starting from there made a massive difference compared to portrayals that I've done in the past that are more sort of standard text and me trying to be the thing that I think everyone wants to see. So that, yeah, I think that was once I started doing that and really playing and just allowing myself just to have fun, if I'm honest, just to do things mm. because they made me laugh <laughs> or because I thought this would be an interesting thing, you know, to make me enjoy the process. Yeah. And the director was great at, you know, Nikki, um, Nikki Diss, who directed it, was great at either laughing ahead off or just going, that doesn't work. And because you're so <laughs> safe with the way that she directs and works mm. that you don't take that personally. You just go, okay, mm. <laughs> you know, and you'll, and sometimes she'll say, how about this? And you'll try what she says. And she's like, yeah, or she'll go, sorry, that was a bad steer. But I think it also comes back to trust and safety, which I think can often be absent, absent from the rehearsal creative space which ties back into is the director the producer the organization are they creating a space where you can feel safe to be vulnerable because if they are then mm. you can start to bring your own interpretations you can start to play if they're not then you need to have a certain type of personality that will do that regardless and I don't necessarily think that's fair it creates an even playing space if people don't not everyone who isn't super confident can also bring their, their selves to the roles. So I, I, I'm reflecting now and thinking about previous productions and that I think it actually, all of the stuff I said, it just comes down to you feeling safe enough, A, that they, they really want you to do that role, that it's you that they're after, and B, mm. they're willing to accept that you bring lots of stuff they don't they won't think of and that is that is great that's a wonderful thing to be celebrated not to be tempered not to be uh chopped down not to be re you know directed in a different way but just to be like enhanced we'll shave a bit here we'll push that further mm. um and so yeah that's ultimately that's what I discovered in that process and I've carried on ever since I love that. And what about when you then get it in front of the audience in terms of the different contexts that you're performing in and managing audience interactions and that like uncontrollable part yeah. that happens? How did improv I mean, fit with that? It's great again. So from day one, uh, Nikki and Vicky Gaskin, who co-produces, their ethos involves you're going to be in a public space, uh, pub gardens uh, most of the time, Mm. Uh, different ones sometimes there are you're in built-up areas buses coming by sometimes you're in this like great field things are going to happen audiences are getting drunker throughout the show they're mm. going to get more interactive and we just lean mm. into that from the very beginning there are songs 
There is, you know, the pre-chat. I love the pre-chat. So I will go out anyway and just start chatting to people and, and getting to know them. And because that is the culture that's been set, the ethos of the company, but the culture we have, yeah, the first show, first few shows, you're just trying to remember your life and said anything that happens that you don't plan yeah. for. But the whole point is it's always embraced. Nikki has said, embrace that. Share it with the audience is like one of her mantras. If something happens and you feel the need to comment on it or you need to, comment out loud and make sure everyone knows what, what you're mm. referring to. And when you, after the first few shows, and then when you like learn the script and you're now confident in your lines, it's like the most freeing thing in the world because every day you're aiming to say the lines exactly as you rehearse them and something can get in the way of that. And that obstacle just elevates everything. And it's a unique moment that everyone shares and we don't just, it doesn't just happen. We get to comment on it and really share it in a way that an improv audience shares in the mistakes and thrives off the mistakes of performers mm. and thrives on the unplanned things and the comments that get shouted out that no one expected and how someone deals with that. And the more masterfully, mm. you know, the more expertly, the more uh, comfortably they deal with it um, or just admit that they can't. The more, f the more fun it is. <laughs> yeah. And then you realize it's just a gift to be able to not just say, everyone just sit back and watch us impress you mm. with our wonderful show, but to go, do you know what? We're going to have to work really hard to make this show work. And you're also a part of it. And, and that once you do that a few times, it's really hard to go back. <laughs> it's, it's really hard mm. to go, okay, well, we're not going to hear from you for two hours and then you're going to stand up and give us an ovation. You just want to really get out there and you want something to happen because you're ready for it, you know? Yeah, I love that. It sounds thrilling. Yeah, my goodness. And from hearing this podcast, I'm sure people who are uh, in the UK will want to see your work. I certainly do. So where should people go to find out more about you and what you're up to? So uh, I'm currently being very elusive. Um, so, uh, yeah, okay. but not, not intentionally. I'm just, yeah, I've, I've been, um, You're busy. yeah, I've been a bit busy and, and retreating a bit and, and trying to do more yoga and more yeah. mindfulness actually. So I'm having a bit Ooh. of a reset. Um, yeah. however, okay. um, needed. yeah, do the right scene. So at DTRS comedy, um, I'll be doing shows there once a month. Um, um, Akaprov at Akaprov musical. I haven't been at shows recently, but I will come back in a way, go and see those people. There are amazing, lots of amazing people mm. that I would encourage you to see because when you see them, you're kind of seeing a piece of me as well. So even if I'm not there, you'll get a sense of the thing that I'm connected yeah. to. It's like meeting my family and you'll get a better sense of like who I am. So go check those places out. Um, I, I've, I've been trying to pull myself away from social media more just so I can mm. do this me-focused stuff. Um, and so... I'm not very yeah. prevalent on there, but just every now and then I might post something on there, but mainly, um, yeah, go check out these groups, but also go and go inside yourself. That, that's, that's where I'm going to tell you to go. Mm. Don't come and find me, go inside yourself. Um, yeah. because that's what I'm trying to do right now. And it's just interesting what you discover and yeah, then you'll bump into me at some point. I love it. I mean, that's such a beautiful prompt to end on. And I'm sure so many of us need to hear it. 
So thank you. My goodness, you've shared so much great advice today. So many fascinating things that I'm going to continue to think about. And I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Uh, It's lovely to be here. Yes. I'll see you another time. Yes. We'll have to do round two because I've got a million more questions for you. (laughs) Okay. Bye-bye. Bye for now.